Good morning. Okay. Good to see you. My first time in this uh, new hall, which we have to get used to. I guess some of you are already getting used to it. It's fascinating. It kind of sucks sound, doesn't it? And then it makes this sound. It's fascinating. Anyway, it's great to be here. And uh, if you're with us regularly, you'll know that uh, we have been looking at the story of Moses. And uh, this is our ninth study. And we're coming to Exodus and chapter 13 and from verse 17. I'm just reading the last few verses to the end of that chapter. Exodus 13, 17 to the end. Now, when Pharaoh had let the people go, God didn't lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, even though it was near. For God said the people might change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. Hence, God led the people around by the way of the wilderness to the Red Sea. And the sons of Israel went up in martial array from the land of Egypt. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for he said, and made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely take care of you, and you should carry my bones from here with you. They set out from Succoth and camped to Atham on the edge of the wilderness, and the Lord was going before them in a pillar of cloud by day to lead them on the way, and a pillar of fire by night to give them light, that they might travel by day and by night. He didn't take away the pillar of cloud by day, nor the pillar of fire by night from before the people. Uh, you'll find this referred to several times in the Old Testament. I'm just going to read one more verse from Numbers 9 and verse 22, where it says this, Whether it was two days, or a month, or a year, that the cloud lingered over the tabernacle, staying above it, the sons of Israel remained camped and didn't set out. But when it was lifted, they did set out. Okay, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the invitation to trust you. We thank you we can sing from our hearts, going to trust in Jesus. We thank you, Lord, that you invite us to trust without shame, without fear. And Lord, we thank you so much for your steady hand that guides us through this world. And Father, we're so grateful, not just for signposts, but a loving hand. We thank you for the personal nature of your guidance. We thank you for your commitment to us, your kind intentions to bring us into your purposes. And Father, we, we just worship you together right now. We we sung your praise. We ask you that we might please hear your word now. Come Holy Spirit, rest upon us. Help each one of us to engage with God, to hear God. Well, some of us may not even know you yet, that we might have this mighty privilege of hearing God speak to us. Father, thank you that you come. We pray that your presence will be so real. We ask it, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, why are we studying Moses? Well, not because simply we're in church, so you look at Bible stories, but because God has revealed himself in relationship to people. He hasn't given us a book of philosophy. 
He hasn't given us a book of systematic theology even, but a book of stories that span hundreds and hundreds of years, but consistently show a person who relates with individuals, so that you meet Moses, you meet Joshua, you meet so many Bible characters, and though they are writing hundreds of years apart from one another, they still shed more light on how you can know this God, and how this God wants to know us. And so we're looking at Moses with that in view, and wanting to know how can we know God, how can we experience God, and the Bible itself says all these stories are written down for our instruction. They're there to shed light for us. So whether we know God yet or not, we can get to know something more of him this morning. So this is what the scriptures are teaching us. And uh, we find that last two times I've spoken, we looked at the Passover, which was that extraordinary deliverance from slavery of a nation that had been in slavery for some hundreds of years, the Israelites being in Egypt. We saw that breakout of God. And then secondly, we looked at the memorial service of the Passover, something they did regularly to remind themselves of what had happened, how as families over a meal, they would constantly be reminded of their identity, of their history, of God's commitment to them. That's the last two times we've looked at. And now we're looking on the story progressing, and we read today about following, following the cloud. They're not just emancipated slaves. It's not just about, you're free now. You're not a slave anymore. Run for it. No, they are now going to be led into God's holy purposes. God's got plans for them. He doesn't just want freedom. He wants them to come right on into all that he has planned and purposed for them. And of course, Christians kind of resonate with this because of that whole sense of guidance. And we know the, the Bible promises, my sheep, hear my voice and follow me. We love the 23rd Psalm, probably the most favorite of many, many people. The Psalm 23, the Lord's my shepherd. He leads me. He guides me. And we, we feel that, the sense of, yeah, God is one who leads. And here we see one of the first references to that kind of thing in the Bible. The guidance of this cloud of glory, which is going before the people of God. So let's just establish this then. My first point, if you like, God does guide his people. Right? That's, a, that's a truth from the scripture, something for us to understand. He consistently does it. He shows how he guides in many, many stories, quite detailed often. Real uh, detailed plans, how he orders their steps, how he develops their life and experience, sometimes through tough times, sometimes through massive blessing and joy, but very evident that they're not just stumbling through life with a kind of code book, but a God who's guiding them, God who's leading them, God who's interested in their, pl in their lives and very involved with them. We see it in Abraham, we see it in Jacob, you see these wonderful stories of Joseph, of Moses, Joshua, David, into the New Testament, Peter is led, Paul is led. These people experience guidance. It's consistently promised. Classic statements like, in all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your path. So it's a clear biblical promise that he will order our steps, he will guide us, I will guide you continually, is one of the promises of the Bible. So we can expect in life that we're not just muddling along, but we are finding God bringing us direction. 
But when you look back over your shoulder, you can see God's plan. Sometimes, as we'll see as we go on, it is as you look back that the plan becomes a bit clearer than you may have recognized as you're pressing forward. You can look back and think, oh, I see what God was doing, which comes out in this story even. These are rooted in his particular plans for us. It's not just like a random thing. When, when they were escaping from Egypt, it was always God's plan to bring them into what's called the promised land. He was going to bring them into Canaan. He had promised Abraham ages before, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless your descendants. I'm going to bring them into this land. There's a plan of God that people fit into. It's not simply that we're stumbling through life and occasionally we stumble on something, but that God has plans for us, purposes which are more than guidance, really. It's more than simply saying, should I cross the road now? Should I get this job now? It's the way we tend to think about guidance. Should I marry this person? Should I join this church? Should I go to that nation? Should I go to that city? That's the way we tend to think of guidance. But the Bible speaks much more of God's great plan for his people and he fits us into that so that it's much bigger than just me and my little world. Wonderfully, I get caught up into his world. So Simon Peter's just a fisherman. He's just nobody at all, really. And Jesus says, now come and follow me and brings him into his plan. And we get this massive privilege that us, our little lives, our little families, we get caught up into something so much bigger, which actually goes on into eternal glory. And being caught up with God is the most wonderful privilege could ever happen to us. So it's not simply that he guides us through little things, though he does, but that he pulls us into his great purpose and plan. It's rooted in his plans for us. We read in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10, we are his workmanship, his work of art, one of the Bibles translates it. It's the word we get our word poem from, the Greek word. It's like we're his poetry, we're his, his artwork, we're something he's putting together. We are his workmanship, the handiwork of God, created in Christ for works that he prepared beforehand for us to walk in. And that's a very Bible phrase, walk in. That, that you walk into them. It's like one step at a time. You walk into what God has for you. So it's a steady progress. And formally, it says in the same passage in Ephesians 2, you used to be walking in death, actually. It says you walked according to the course of this world. In other words, you kept up with the fashion, the mood, what people thought in your generation, your age. You know, you just fit in with the world. Then it talks about the prince of the power of the air. The Bible says there is an evil force in this world that catches people up, pushes them beyond where they wanted to go, ensnares and tricks them. And it says also the, the flesh, the works of the flesh. We were walking in these sort of things. It says in Ephesians 2, we were the world, the flesh, the devil. They dominated the way we walked. And God has come and snatched us out of that created us in Christ so that we can walk quite differently, to walk in things that he's planned for us. So he snatched us out of where we were walking around aimlessly, just shaped by other things. said, now I want you to walk into something I have for you. It's a massive privilege to be walking in his path. Now sometimes it is perplexing. 
sometimes we struggle with guidance. We think, what is happening to me? Or we think, which way am I meant to go? Is it this or is it this? And we, we struggle with guidance. And if we're Christians, we so want to hear God. What is God saying to us in this? And so it does become difficult sometimes. And sometimes when we're being led along a path, think, why is he taking me this way? I don't understand why he's taking me this way. And actually, we just read in the passage, he didn't take them by the way that was near. And they might thought, why, why, this is the obvious way. Why did he take us this way? He took them by another way. He think, what's going on here? And then it says, he didn't take them this way because they would have hit warfare with the Philistines there. Now, they may well have been totally ignorant that warfare lie there. In fact, that's what it seems to indicate. God, God's caring for them. God says they may be scared stiff of war. They just escaped. They're slaves. Later on, they will get into battles. Later on, there will be conflict. They'll be, they'll be stronger. But now, they just escaped slaves. And God's feeling for them. They're not ready for war. And so God leads them by another way. But for them, it may have been very perplexing. What's God doing with us? And we can often feel that. We might feel that with our family. Why is God doing this to us? But, dear friends, we don't see the whole picture. We don't see what God's protecting us from. We don't, we, it says in Ephesians 1, the mystery of his will. In the same passage, it says, the kind intention of his will. It's very great to put those together. <laughs> so that when his will seems a mystery... It's wonderful to know it's always, always with his kind intention. God knows what he's doing. We don't always see the big picture. We don't know there's a Philistine army waiting there. We don't know if we went that way, we would have hit big problems that at the moment we're ignorant of. So there's a lot of trust involved in following the cloud. A lot of trust. A lot of saying, now, I believe he knows best. And so we sing out songs, going to trust in Jesus, going to trust in God. A steady, the steady hand will guide me. And so, yeah, God knows what he's doing. And you'll find that, for instance, with Joseph, there's a story which talk about perplexing. God gives him a wonderful vision of what's going to happen to him. And then his brothers hate him, turn against him throw him in the ground, take him out of the ground, just sell him as a slave. And he's like far, far away from what was a promise. God promised him, your brothers will bow down to you. Uh, you're obviously a very significant guy. There's kind of government in your life. And he's in a, he's in a prison, miles from home. He said, what is going on with my life? And then you get this wonderful breakthrough that he's lifted from prison because the king has a dream and he's brought right through to the actual purpose of God. And later his brothers are brought to him. And, 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 and Joseph says this, You meant it for evil. You sold me down to Egypt. You turned against me. But God meant it for good. That I might go ahead and save life. So dear friends, sometimes guidance is very strange. Think, well, what's happening to me? It's pretty obvious why it's happening. The Bible says why it's happening. They, moved with jealousy, sold him. There it is. It's clear. I mean, this is happening to me because of other people's sin. That's why I am in this position. It's plain as the nose on your face. It's their fault. And Joseph, at the end, when he looks back, says, You meant it for evil, but God 
meant it for good and sent me ahead. So they're evil, they're envy. God's behind it and God is sending him. So dear friends, to look sometimes at circumstances that baffle us. Why is this happening? It looks far that we have to trust and look above and think, no, no. Joseph could say, no, God sent me. It was tough. It was somewhat prolonged. But he said, no, no, God, God was in this. God sent me in this. And dear friends, God, God wants to nourish in us confidence in him which is to do with his character, his trustworthiness displayed in so many occasions, and maybe in your previous experience when life was a bit simpler. And then it suddenly takes a twist. You don't know what's happening. Well, the invitation of them from the scripture, and even from the meeting that we've been enjoying, the great song that Simon sang out, that, no, come on, trust me. We want to trust him, put our confidence in him. So, yes, sometimes guidance is perplexing, but it's promised, right? I will guide you. I will guide you. God has made that promise. He illustrates it again and again in Bible stories, how people are led. Okay, so that's the first point I want to make. God does guide. Second point, okay? He, we need to embrace our identity as followers. That's our identity. We're followers. That's who we are. I wonder whether to get someone to do a little drama for me, but I wasn't quite sure of the layout here. I haven't been here before. I thought maybe I'll get someone. Would you please follow him round and get someone to walk around and get the other one to follow? Wherever they went, just follow. When you follow, you relinquish your right to make choices. And if we'd done that little drama, you'd have seen it. You just have to go where they go. I've never done it. It wouldn't be great to step outside, get in a car and say, follow that car. You know, I've never done it. <laughs> Must be such fun. <laughs> but, you, you know, you just, that's a slightly purposeless, wherever he's going, follow him. But when you say, I'm a follower, you're saying, I'm not making any other choices. My focus is to follow. Follow the cloud. This cloud is going before them. God promises, I'll go before you. And it's actually his presence, which we'll come back to, going before them. And their calling was not to have other plans. They relinquished their right to have other plans. Our identity is a follower. These Israelites became followers. And of course that comes right on into the New Testament when Jesus says to guys, follow me. Just follow me. Come with me. Follow me. I'm going to lead you. And so that gives you your, your identity is a follower. And in that, someone else is planning the journey. And that's where trust comes in again. Are you happy to be in a world where someone else is dictating the journey? Where you think, no, no, I'm, I'm not a free agent anymore. And Jesus said this, if anyone wants to come after me, he needs to take up his cross and follow me. And what does that mean? We can reduce that to all sorts of foolishness. You know, to, from bunions to mothers-in-law, the cross you carry. But in the Bible, the, the, the cross meant, if you saw someone carrying a cross, they'd be dead tomorrow. It's like, take up your hangman's noose and follow me. Take up your guillotine and follow me. Take up your electric chair and follow me. That's, that's what he's saying. Take up the public means of death and you won't be alive tomorrow. 
If you saw someone carrying a cross as curtains, take up your cross. What is he saying? He's saying, abandon your private plans and follow me. Then he says this, if you try and save your life, you lose it. But if you lose your life for my sake, you'll find it. There's a great deal of trust in this. You say, well, I don't want to lose my life. I've always had these plans. I've always had these thoughts. They said to me at school, you're this, you're that. You could be. And I've always thought I could be. But our problem is that while we're living with what we could be, we're having great difficulty following this one who says, follow me. And so there's a very big step in saying, well, I'm going to lay down my life. I lay down my ambitions, my private agenda. If I'm going to follow Jesus, actually my private agenda dies. My personal ambitions are adjusted. But we do it with this confidence that Jesus says, if you will lose your life, actually you find it. It's not a destructive thing in the end. It's not that that ends in total destruction. You're finished. That's the end of you. It's somehow there's a, there's a life God's planned for you. There's something that God has in his heart for us. Individually, we're to understand this, which is so much better than our plans. And it, but it has to come with this following Jesus. is a real relinquishing of freedom to choose, but a delight in what he chooses. And a trust, this is where faith comes in, is trusting he knows better. He really does. So being a believer, being a truster, being a Christian is to believe. Say, I know he knows best. I'm going to trust him. I'm going to let him make the choices. I'm going to let him guide. And so that comes in many ways, as we see in the scriptures. It comes in ways, because it says this, Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. It's a different metaphor from taking the cross, but it's talking about um, cattle that will be yoked together. And there'll be a yoke over their shoulders. He said, now, come and learn of me. So for us, we don't see a cloud going ahead. You don't wake up in the morning and say, oh, there's the cloud. But Jesus is saying, I want you to be yoked to me. I want you to learn from me. Then he says things like this. I am meek and lowly of heart. You happy, you happy to be yoked to someone who's meek and lowly? See, that may not have been the way you've been raised. You may have learned, no, no, no. God looks after those who look after themselves. Look after number one. You may, be, you may have been raised very ambitious, very personally ambitious. You may, have been, you, may have been, you may have suffered in the past so you're nervous of people. You may be fearful to commit. You may have been abused by someone in some terrible way, so you're fearful of relationships, of people, and, and that governs the way you live. And, and so you, you live maybe like a captive to certain fears, or even a captive to your ambition, or a captive, I want to be heard, and all sorts of things shape us. See, these guys were slaves in, in, in a nation where they've been slaves for generations, so their worldview was slavery. With all that that does to you, and beloved, before we get saved, we are subject to all kinds of stuff that develops your personality and makes you the person you are. Some of us are more difficult to live with than others. And Jesus finds us where we are. 
Sometimes we get saved. You just, you know, we had a wonderful story the other day of a guy who got saved in prison. I mean, he was a crook and a rascal. He's got a long way to go. There's all sorts of things in his life. There's all sorts of aggression and hidden things. And all of us have stuff hidden. We have a worldview. We have a perspective. We, we evaluate things. We have political commitments. We have all sorts of things that shape the way you look at life. And Jesus is saying, I want you to lay down that stuff and get yoked to me and learn from me. I am meek and lowly. The meek shall inherit the earth. He says outrageous things. He says things that are countercultural. He says things that don't fit. You won't fail, you won't find them in your newspapers. You won't find them in how to, how to complete your CV. Jesus says amazing things that you think, wow, that's, that's radical. Yeah, that's what I said, lay down your life. You mean you want me to change? Yeah, I do want you to change. I'm going to change you. I'm going to shape you. I'm going to lead you somewhere. And guidance in the Bible isn't just about where you turn up. It's not just about getting to a place. It's about becoming somebody you weren't before. Guidance is going to shape your character. Guidance is going to make you into a woman of God, a man of God. And it's going to affect you. So Paul, when he's writing to the church at Philippi, he says things like this. Have this mind in you that was in Christ Jesus. And it's actually dealing with, it's just dealing with ordinary people. We know about the church of Philippi, we know how it got started. There's a mixture of people. There's rich business people, there's a jailer, there's a formerly demon-possessed girl. I mean, that's just a mess. And now they're becoming Christ. You've got a new citizenship. And he's saying to them, now, look, I want you to live as new citizens. And, and then, actually, there's a problem between two, two of the ladies in the church, Syntyche and Euodia. And they're, they're, they're co-workers with Paul, but they've got problems. And so Paul, Paul takes this great, great big truth. He says, have this mind in you that was in Christ Jesus, who didn't grasp that equality with God, but humbled himself, he emptied himself, taking the form of a man. And having found in that form, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even death on a cross. He's saying to Christians, I want you to have the mind of Christ. So it's not just about being nice, it's not just about being religious, it's not just about turning up at meetings. We're following someone who's got a radically different view of what life's all about and how you live it and how you relate to other people. And he doesn't just say, not be a good Christian. He, says, he, he takes the whole fundamental thing that we are to be majorly affected by this cross of Jesus, this wonderful Saviour who took on human form, though he was equal with God, lived in eternity in face-to-face fellowship with God, became a little baby, grew up among men which became a learned obedience he learned obedience as a man he was, he was learning obedience learning until he obedient to death even the most horrific cross death you could imagine have that mind in you, you know, abandon your rights let go of your personal preferences 
Learn to live in a completely different way. I will guide you into another life, another world, another way of living, and I'll energize you to do it. I'm, I'm going to raise up a people who look so different to everybody else, who have a different citizenship. So guidance isn't simply about well, move from here to there. It's move from here to here. Move from the things that tie you up in knots, the things that drive you, the things that affect you and your decision making. You see, so many of our decisions are made that come out from the way we are, the people we are. We make our choice when we do this or that. And our choices are coming out from who we are. We're not just kind of free people. I might do this, I might do that. No, we tend to do what is most comfortable with us. Whether we've learned to be pushy, we've learned to be reactionary, whether we've learned to be insecure, fearful, all those things that we've learned that shape who we are affect the choices we make. God says, I want to guide you. I want to guide you into freedom so that you're not shaped by those things. I'll bring you into a new world. Guidance is about what he wants to make us. Not just to where we want to go. He's got wonderful, wonderful goals for us. You may be raised racist. God wants to set you free. You may have been raised mean with money. God wants to set us free. Give, and it'll be given to you. Oh, wait a minute. If I give, I've got less. No, it'll be given to you. Pressed down, shaken together, running over. Come on. Jesus said there's two ways. There's a narrow way, there's a broad way. Which way are you going to walk? You can build on my words, which is like building your house on a rock. Or you can build elsewhere and, and it won't handle the storms. I'm inviting you to walk my way. I'm inviting you to my journey. And in my journey, I say this, give, it will be given to you. Pressed down, shaken together, running over. Am I, am I, can I go that way? See, if we've been built with fear, if fear still affects my choices, then I'm not going to follow. If, well, I don't know, will I have control if I give? Can I, no, no, you let go. Hmm. Can I trust? See, guidance is about big issues of character, personality. They affect the way we go. They shape our decisions. It's not just about who shall I marry, where shall I live, what sort of job shall I do. It's much more than that. So much more than that. We're following Christ. He wants to deconstruct the way you think. And he wants to guide you to have the mind of Christ. God sent a perfect son and wants us to be like him, full of trust in his Father, full of confidence, full of freedom. That's what he's looking for. He'll lead us through experiences that bring us into these things. He's inviting you. You can let him lead you. You trust him. I don't understand what you're doing, Lord. Will you trust him? He loves our trust. He's looking for our trust. He's looking for our willingness to let him change the stuff that makes us make decisions and to teach us to turn away from it and go a better way. Then also he leads us as part of a flock. Right? So first of all, we said the establishing the principle, God leads. Okay. Secondly, we take our identity, we're followers. You a follower? Following means keep your eye on him, let him make the choices. Let him 
gradually change you. It doesn't all happen overnight, but he'll bring you to situations where you have a choice. You have a choice. Will I, will I trust? Will I forgive? Will I, in all sorts of choices. Will I, will I go the extra mile? <sighs> choices. And they make the person you become. You get led by him. He's inviting us to do that. Thirdly, as I said, he leads us as part of a flock. He leads us together. Moses led a nation. Later on, we'll find when we go through the story, they're set out as tribes. There's a very key uh, chapter later on when they're, they're, they're different tribes. They're all, so he's leading them together as a flock. And when you become a Christian, actually that becomes part of the way you get led. One of the first words for conversion in the Bible, it says in Acts chapter 2, when the church broke out, the very first public church meeting, you could say the day of Pentecost, it says 3,000 people, it doesn't say became Christians, it could have said, or were converted, it could have said, it says 3,000 were added. So although it's an individual experience, you become part of a corporate group. You become part of a flock. We're part of the flock that our shepherd is leading. And so you get led collectively, you get led together. And so much of the, our following is something we do corporately, something we do together. And so many of the New Testament commands are in the plural. So, for instance, that wonderful verse in, the, in Philippians 2 says, Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for God is at work in you to will and to do his good pleasure. And great teachers, I remember Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones said, that's the greatest description of the Christian life anywhere in the Bible. What was he saying? He was saying, it's your personal responsibility, work out your, your salvation, you take responsibility, and then, it, then he adds this, but God is at work in you to will and to do. It's a fabulous little couple of verses. Work out your salvation. It's not just to let go and let God it's not just float through life. No, you work it out. You press on. You develop your Christian life with fear and trembling, with seriousness. But with this wonderful awareness, God's at work in me. And even that in my will. He, he changes my will. Changes my appetites. Changes even within marriage. Things that you come together as a couple. You think, oh, she does that. He does that. And you think, why? Wow, why do we compromise on this? God's at work in us. God changes your will. God changes your willingness. He's at work in us to will and to do. And that we do it. We find ourselves doing it, hey, gladly. Gladly. We thought at first, hey, come on. That's not the way my parents always did it. And gradually, hey, now we find God's at work in us. He changes our will and then we go do it. We're not just doing it reluctantly. Because God starts working in us. So it's a wonderful verse. And, he, and, and like many, Lloyd-Jones personalized it to the individual, which is fine. But the reality is, it's a plural verb. Work out your salvation, he's saying to this church at Philippi. For God is at work, and it could be translated, among you. God is at work among you. Work out, come on guys. Work out your salvation. For God is at work among you. And then he says this, the very next verse says, Do all things without grumbling and complaining. 
It's obvious. Well, it is plural. It's a plural verb. That's the problem with our English language, isn't it? The word you, we never know if it's singular or plural. Because it's the same word. And so we, we often miss where the Bible is saying you, and we think it's, it's me, because we live in a very individualistic age anyway. We Brits in the 21st century, it's all about me. But the Bible is often about us. It's about us. Work out your salvation together. Why? Because God's at work among you to will and do his good pleasure. So do all things without grumbling, complaining. It's something we're doing together. We come through together. And the Christian life is something of that order. And so finding the will of God has also a lot to do with where do I fit in the body? So we're not just a flock. The Bible even uses the word body like we're all joined. You know, when I put my hand in my pocket and I take it out again, I don't count the fingers to see, you know, they're kind of joined. And, and, and we're a body. We're joined. We belong. We're part of. Now, some people kind of despise that a bit and kind of hop around a lot. But it's good to be joined in, in reality because the Bible says over 40 times, do things for one another. You know, like pray for one another. So it's great to have the prayer thing here in the church. Often get notes through, pray for us, this is happening to us, this is happening to us. Of course we will, we're part of one another. And so guidance often comes out of relationship and belonging. And our identity comes more and more out of, where do I fit in the body? Who am I in the body? Am I an eye? Am I an ear? That's the language Paul uses in Corinthians. He says the foot shouldn't say, I'm not a hand, I don't seem to matter much. The ear shouldn't say, I'm not an eye, I can't wink, I can't give them the eye, just stuck it on the side. Now the ear, there's no kind of, no, no, don't be jealous of what she can do, he can do, be what you're meant to be. And so guidance is a kind of corporate thing as well. Guidance happens to the flock. We receive wisdom together, we receive wisdom from one another, we get guidance somewhat from within the family. We are not just left alone. It's not like I've got to find guidance. I better get and find guidance. We find guidance often together. We find guidance through friendship and hearing one another, listening to God together. Guidance become apparent in the body. It's part of the way God leads us. We are experiencing a God who's amongst us. Jesus said to his disciples, Go. And make disciples. Go into all the world. Make disciples of all the nations. And what did they do? Instinctively they went and planted churches. They realized that this has got to be a community thing. You learn together. You learn to forgive one another. You learn to love one another. You learn to be patient with one another. You learn to speak the truth in love to one another. All those excellent things, awkward things, costly things, difficult things. It's being together that starts shaping us up. It's much easier to be a lone Christian in a sense because you don't have to bother with all that. But you'll never grow to maturity if you don't belong. You'll never grow to maturity. you never learn what it is to humble yourself sometime or find the courage to speak the truth in love. All these things that shape you are best learned in the family. Learning when you feel joined. I'm part of this. 
if one suffers, we all feel it. You know, if one couple <laughs> can't sleep at night because their neighbours are such pigs and they cry and it hurts, we kind of all feel it. Whatever's happening, if one has a baby and it's like, oh, we all celebrate, we enjoy. The corporateness of the church is a beautiful thing. And, it's, and the, the fragmentation of the world is tragic. It's a tragic thing. It's happening more and more in our Western society. People, the housing problem is a lot down to he left her. She got out of the house as soon as she could. He got away from his parents as soon as he could. We need more houses. Much of it's down to the fragmentation. Want to be, no, I'm getting out of here. Whereas we've learned relationship by calling on God for grace, learning to humble our hearts, or find courage if needs be, to find our way through. That's what builds us up, beloved. We get built up in the family. Guidance comes together. And so guidance is coming to us together even today. On our gift day, there's corporate guidance. God is leading us. God's leading us here. God's taking us on. I've had the privilege of being identified with lots of churches. <laughs> I guess I've been part of three in my life in terms of the one I was born again into. first one I led, the second one I led, coming here. And then privilege within New Frontiers to be friends with loads of churches all over. And I've seen the journeys they've taken. I've seen some of them, they've kind of arrived at the place they're looking for. I saw them when they met, they were in this room and then they got changed to that room and then they had to go to this place. And then I remember the Hastings Church, I used to say to them, I need a word of knowledge to find you. Where are you meeting now? And now they've got this massive, what's called boundaries, where they used to do indoor cricket. Oh, it's just a phenomenal place. I've seen so many churches, beloved, who've headed on this journey and found their way through. And it's happening now in all sorts of places. I read in the Times yesterday, their write-up of how HTB are buying up places. And it's interesting, in Brighton, where I have lived most of my life, there was a redundant parish church of Brighton. I mean, it's just in terrible mess, but wonderfully placed. Its, lo it's location is superb. It was leaking, it was falling apart, it was due for closure. HTB raised some money in London, Holy Trinity Brompton, raised some money, got Archie to go down there, Archie Coates, went down there with about 50 people, I think, and got started. And now it's in the Times. Yesterday, half a page. Deadly churches coming alive. Didn't say deadly, I forgot what it said. <laughs> but then illustrated, they're, they're doing it now in Bournemouth, in Hastings, they're doing it again and again. They're beginning to, and they put in inverted commas, planting a church, whatever that might be. And uh, Yeah, we've been doing that for some decades, starting churches. HTB are now doing it with redundant building, but they have their journeys. They go on their journey, and then, hey, look what's happened. God's done something wonderful. So we, we have guidance as corporate. We're on a journey together. We reflect that as we're given our offering shortly. We're saying we're in this together. It's amazing what's been raised, even with the kind of uncertainty of difficulty with negotiation. I do want, I've always thought, ever since we've been here, the response of the church is phenomenal. The trust, the commitment is wonderful. Let's keep going on the journey together. We get guidance from God. God will guide us. He's promised to do it. He's guaranteed he'll do it. We trust him. We press on with him. And so much guidance 
is corporate. God will lead us. He will guide us step by step. Just to finish off with then, some guidance is personal, all right? It is the thing that we most often think about when we think of guidance. Now, we don't kind of wake up in the morning, do we? At least I don't, and find there's a cloud outside the house. Follow the cloud, wow. It doesn't happen, eh? So, what does it mean? What does it mean? Well, he says this, my, my people hear my voice and follow me. And so there are some aspects of our individual lives that we need guidance in. We need to know, do I move here? Do I take that job? Do I? We need guidance. And, and, and Christians want to know, what is God saying to me? It's a big deal for us. Well, how do we know? Well, sometimes we say, well, God never spoke to me. I speak to Christians sometimes. They say, they say oh, God never spoke to me. Well, let's just back up a bit. How did you become a Christian? If you were a believer here this morning, there came a moment when you heard his call. You may not say, I heard an audible voice. Some would make such a claim, not many. But somehow there came a moment when you passed from not believing to believing. And it says in the Bible that until God calls you, the gospel seems pretty foolish really. It says that the the, the intelligent man says, that's foolishness. There's something in our heart that's inclined to unbelief. You don't get raised a Christian in the sense that, you know, Billy Graham used to say, if you're born in a garage, it doesn't make you a car. It's not like you were born in a Christian home, so you're a Christian. We know there has to come personal response to God, personal commitment. And if you there came a moment when you knew it was true. There came a moment when suddenly, and so, yeah, you, you, you all have known God speak to you. And so some of us are saying, God never speaks to me. Yes, he has. You suddenly knew it was true. You knew it enough to commit yourself. You knew it enough to say, I, I want to be baptized, please. What? Now I've, I believe it now. Wow. God spoke. God make it clear. God made it clear. I know for myself, just, be, just speaking to my own sister, she's saying to me, I've become a Christian. I'm arguing. I'm, ah, come on. And suddenly, suddenly I know it's true. There comes a moment, suddenly you know it's true. I met a guy when I was in the States recently. I said, how did you become a Christian? I love asking people, how did you become a Christian? It's just fantastic, the stories you hear. This guy said, I just got a Bible. I started reading the Bible. I thought, Leviticus? They just, I read it. He said, I found God. God speaking to him from the Bible. And he knew it was true. Sometimes it's in a sermon. You're in a, you know, I heard George Verwer recently, he's an amazing missionary leader. And actually it was on a little video. And he's talking to Billy Graham, who is very, very ancient. Bless him. That frail, wonderful, wonderful servant of God. And George is talking to him. And he's saying, I got saved when you preached at Madison Square Garden. I was there. And now I've witnessed the millions. It's just such an moving video. But he heard a man preach and they knew it was God. You suddenly hear. Sometimes that's how you hear. That's, that's somehow how you get going. Sometimes it's through the preaching. Sometimes it's, it's in the Bible. And what we get sometimes is people say silly things like, God told me to do this. 
And you think, well, well, wait a minute, we've just been saying earlier on, much of what God says to us is about character formation. He's saying, follow me, be yoked to me. And sometimes you hear, you hear crazy things like, well, I know I'm married, but God's told me that I can love this woman. When you've been a pastor long enough, you hear stories. You do, you hear stories. And people say, no, God led us. See, God does not lead a sheep to become a wolf. He builds a character. And people say, I got led. But you say, that's crazy. But they put it down to God told me. Now, that's not, a, that's not something we should give any time to whatsoever. Because God will never lead outside of character that he wants to lead us into. He'll never tell us to do something that is out of step. He won't do that. So we can be sure that if we love truth and we let truth shape us, change, shape our values, lead us on that general path with God, then guidance will always be consistent with the character he wants us to be. He wants us to be loyal. He wants to be true. He wants us to be, you can count on them. He wants to say, if I promise this is what I'm going to do, because that's what I'm following, that path. So guidance will never take us outside of that general guidance. But sometimes God will speak to us in a particular way, because this, is a, this Bible is living and powerful. So once I was serving God in Brighton, when I'd given up my job, I was serving God, and I'm reading the Bible, and I'm reading in Genesis 28, and it says this, I will bring you back to this place. I will not leave you until I fulfilled every promise. That's just a promise. It's just in Genesis 28. But I knew it spoke to me. The only thing was strange. I wasn't going anywhere. Why would God say, I'll bring you back? And then a little while later, seven people in the space of two or three weeks said to me, you should consider going to Bible college. I thought, come on, I don't believe in Bible college. But it was seven people. So I must give weight to this. So I'm, I'm, I'm a Christian. These are Christian people. So I gave weight to what they said. And, I, and I, I thought, well, I'll pursue this and see what happens. And I put a few kind of, this has to happen for it. And, and they fell into place. And I got led by God through other Christians saying things to me. Several of them, not knowing somebody else had said it, but seven and I thought, I think God's speaking to me. So we get led sometimes by what other Christians are saying to us. And then when we got to college, and Wendy and I got married, and we moved to a town called Seaford, I said to Wendy, one day we'll move back to Brighton. She said, I don't know, we will. Because God said to me, I'll bring you back to this place. So sometimes God speaks to you a verse in the Bible that it's, it's li- the Bible says it's living and powerful. It, it just comes alive. So sometimes we're led by things that come alive to us. The verses of Scripture sometimes just speak. Now, they're not out of character, and which we waited 11 years for that. I didn't know how it was going to happen. I didn't try and make it happen. We just carried on serving God. Then the door suddenly opened. I thought, oh, this is it. God said it would happen. So sometimes we have to wait patiently for the Lord. If I'm a follower... I take the position of a servant, I'll wait patiently. He'll guide me. He promised. So he promised it would happen. I haven't time to talk about other things I want to talk about in terms of the prophetic. But as a movement, as New Frontiers, for instance, we came together through prophetic guidance, prophecy. Then we had prophetic guidance to move 
from the Downs Bible Week to the Stonely Bible Week. We closed down the Downs. It was a very negative thing. To, why did God say close it? But he said move. And it went from 10,000 to nearly 30,000. Then it was 30,000, the biggest thing happening in the country, and God said, close it. Close it. Gosh, that's amazing. Why? And people came to visit. Why have you closed it? But you know, when we closed it, we were like 230 churches around the world. God said, go on mission. We're now probably over 900 churches in 60 nations. So we couldn't understand it, but it's going and going. And God said, pull back the arrow. I won't have time to explain all that now. But we are now sending out unspeakable numbers. <laughs> We're not only at Istanbul. Madrid, Valencia, Amsterdam, Helsinki, Stockholm, Estonia, Latvia. People are pouring out. We're planting churches. People, God said, pull back the bow. You'll send out arrows, arrows, arrows. Plant churches across the UK for people to go. Things that God said to us are all happening. We follow his guidance. Let me close with this verse. It says in Isaiah 53, All we like sheep have gone astray. We've all gone astray. We've all turned to our own way. That's where we are naturally. Naturally, we go our own way. Like Frank Sinatra, I did it my way. But he, it says this, the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Jesus paid the price for all our going our own way. All our independence. All our, no, I want to do it. That's, that's the root of sin, dear friends. We often think sin is a list of things you don't do. Don't go here, don't do that. No, it's doing our own thing. We've all gone our own way, but the Lord has laid the iniquity of us all. We've gone like sheep astray. God wants us to come back and trust him. Let him do the guidance. Will you do that this morning? If you're a believer, would you let him guide you? Let him guide you. If it's not clear, wait patiently. Sometimes it's not clear. You wait, because I don't want to get it wrong. I wait patiently for the Lord. He promises to guide. And will you let him make the choices, which might mean your personality has to change quite a bit. The way you are. You don't just add Christianity. He wants to lead you into a life that looks like Jesus. Let's stand to pray. Father, we thank you so much for even bothering with us, for inviting us. Lord, we, we just confess that, Lord, we do always prefer our own way. We confess we'd rather follow our fears. We're scared to get out of our fears. We make it a hiding place. Some of us, Lord, we want to have our own way because we've been, we've been raised bullies and we are bullies. We're manipulators. We use people. Lord, you know what makes us who we are. You see us, Lord. We, we're like sheep. We go all over the place. We thank you so much that you laid our guilt 
on him. The one who said, I delight to do your will, O God. The one who just chose to go your way. Well, Jesus, thank you so much that you took our guilt, you took our shame. We thank you, said, can you take away this cup from me? Then, no, 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 for this purpose came I to this hour. Shall I not drink the cup the Father's given me? Shall I not walk the path? Lord Jesus, help us, please. Help us, Lord, to walk your path. Help us as a church to walk your path. Help us collectively to do that, Lord. We pray for a place we can call our own, a place we don't have to carry stuff in and out of, a place we can shape up, a place that we can welcome people into. We ask you for it, Father. And we pray, Lord Jesus, that we might be a people who look like you, who look like we're your citizens. We've got, we look like we're yoked to Jesus, the meek and lowly one. Thank you, said, I'll give you rest for your soul. Lord Jesus, help us, help us to get free from all our strivings that we might walk with you into all that you have for us. Give us courage when there's delay. Give us courage when we don't quite understand. Help us, Father, that we might walk with you into all that you've planned for us, Father. Bless your word to us this morning, we pray, that it do us good. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.